Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita, and let's begin. Hi, and welcome to episode 128 of a Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And today is a rough one in my neck of the woods. I live in North Carolina and right now as I'm speaking, I see Florence. Hurricane Florence is just a few miles away from me and I'm going to record this podcast really quickly because there's a pretty good chance I'm not going to have power pretty soon. And um, so, yeah. I'm excited to talk to you because I'm going to be probably stuck at home with my family and my in-laws, which are all great. They're all great people, really. But, you know, I know I'm not great to be around when 
we don't have power for a few days. So I'm excited to talk to you and give you a chance to listen to this letter that I got from a fellow parent and primary caregiver, someone who has gone through a lot in her eating disorder recovery. And now that she has children and doing some of the like typical things that primary caregivers do, like pack lunches and make dinner and get baths every night and going through that routine, well, it's like nails on the chalkboard. And I can relate. Can you relate to that? Oh my gosh. Like that's one of the hardest parts of being a parent. And I'm as my kids are getting older, I'm finding it easier because there's probably just less sleep deprivation, which if you're not new to the podcast, you know, sleep is really important to me, but um, it's also as they're getting older, there's just less of those very routine things that I have to do and, and manage. My kids are getting older now, so they can kind of do a lot of things on their own, but I can really remember having to wash out all those bottles and things like that. Oh my goodness. I still have these memories that hurt when I think about all of that work. So I'm excited for you to hear that letter. And before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. The Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. I have a course that is the 12-step system that I have put together after working with hundreds of people affected by PCOS. And I am someone that uses only non-diet approaches. And most people are taught as dietitians and healthcare providers to help people with PCOS by putting them on a diet and that's really just torture and they don't work. And so it took me at least, I think about 10 years to figure out a different way. And I am so excited to share with you this different system to help you move away from diets and manage your PCOS at the same time. You can get all the details by going to pcosandfoodpeace.com. And a special little bonus thing that I've been working on is I have a 10-episode podcast that has been released that goes into a really deep dive into people's experiences with PCOS. We interviewed 10 interesting people with PCOS and learned about their journeys. We spoke with Jess Baker, Sophie Carter-Kahn from the She's All Fat podcast. We also talked to Ivy Felicia, Caroline Juner, who's the author of The Fuck It Diet. Also Shira Rosenbluth, who has this really fun fashion blog called A Sequin Love Affair, and many, many others. And they just tell us their experiences with PCOS. So if you have PCOS, I think you're going to love, love, love the podcast. And if you're someone like me, who's not affected by it, but you work with people who have it, it's, I think it's a really important resource because it's going to help you to do better. And you can get to that by going to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast. If you enjoy this episode of the Love Food Podcast, I would love it if you could leave a rating, a review, subscribe, or share the show. Doing any of those acts of kindness helps the show grow. Um, the Apple podcast algorithms are always a mystery, yet we do know that more that people do those things, that more people are able to find the show. And you always hear me say that everyone deserves to feel at home in their own skin. And so by sharing the show and leaving a rating or review and subscribing, those are all things that help more people have access to it. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter. Dear Food, gracious, we've been through a lot, haven't we? When I was growing up, mostly I just ate. It was easy. We got along, but 
didn't think a whole lot about our relationship. At some point in there, though, I learned that you were a bit more complicated. I learned that you have calories and fat, for example, and I learned to attach labels to you, like good, bad, healthy, and unhealthy. Ever the overachiever, when I went away to college and was forced to start making more of these decisions myself, I did a really good job at making good, healthy choices. And that, I suppose, is where our relationship started to deteriorate. For years, as it became clear with from my family, my friends, and the culture around me that less of you was better, I avoided you as best I could. And because, go figure, you're important and even necessary, I got really sick. People noticed. But interestingly, people never talked about my relationship with you. It was my anxious mind, they said. It was my sensitive heart. And so we worked on those things. But in the meantime, you and I continued to struggle. So it went on for the next six or so years. I avoided you like the plague and then physically unable to stay away for long, I ran to you stuffing my face with you. What a rotten time that was, food. And then things started to change. I found a great therapist. I was honest with my partner and with the people around me. I allowed myself to feel things and started writing about it all instead of stuffing it down with you or anything else. I found intuitive eating and started to, wonder of wonders, enjoy you again. I assigned you new labels, labels like energizing and even fun. And I put you in perspective. What did it really matter if our relationship wasn't perfect or if you and I didn't do everything just so? My body would figure it out, I reasoned. And my life was full of things that made the intricacies of our relationship less monumental. One of those things was and remains still my children. I have three, ages five, three, and not yet one. I adore them, of course. And their relationships with their bodies and you food are inspiring and instructive to me. We talk about food and hunger and fullness in really intentional ways, and it's a joy. What is not a joy, however, and what I'm finding to be taking quite a toll on our relationship food is the nighttime routine that these three lights of my life require of me. This is how it goes. We get home from work, school, camp, daycare, unpack backpacks and lunchboxes, make dinner, eat dinner, such as it is with small children, clean up a bit, do baths, do bedtime, clean up the rest of the way, wash bottles, fill bottles, wash pump parts, and pack lunchboxes for the next day. My husband helps with so much of it, but he also has a job that requires a decent amount of nighttime work, most of which he saves when the kids are in bed. Maybe there are mothers who enjoy this part of their evening, who love to cut their kids' carrots into little flowers and perfectly portion their pasta salad, but I don't like it. I dread it. I feel tired and it feels hard. And let's be honest, I don't go wild with it. Most days they get sandwiches and some grapes. So what I've been finding is that for whatever reason, be it a distraction or avoidance or coping or energy, I turn to you. All the while I'm cleaning up and making lunches, I'm snacking. Though I've had dinner and I'm usually quite full, I'm snacking. And when it's all said and done, I've worked my way through more of you than I really want or need and feel bad, physically and emotionally. At moments like these, I feel really vulnerable to those old habits and labels for you, those old feelings of shame and those old inclinations to restrict you, which I know too well would destroy our relationship if I let it. I'm trying to give myself compassion, recognizing that this is probably pretty normal and that this might just be how things need to be for a season, 
that I may just need to do what I can to survive, the doing all the things for small children while exhausted stage. But I find that I'm thinking about you a lot, too much, and it makes me sad. And I'm not sure I want to feel like this for this, even this short season. How can we get back to where we were food? How can I manage the mundane, sometimes maddening responsibilities of motherhood without sliding back into ways of relating to you that I thought I had left in the past and that are unproductive, distracting, and depressing? Love, hashtag mom problems. Hey there, mama. I gotta say it, I totally get you. (laughs) I totally get you. When I read your letter, I knew that I was gonna be the one that answered it because I can relate to so many things that you're saying and I've been wanting to talk about it. So thank you for the opportunity. And anyone listening who is the primary caregiver of some small children, I have a feeling you can relate as well. And they're probably saying the same thing. They're nodding their head. It's a really tough spot. And yes, it's the season, yet, oh my Lord, it is a tough season at times. In case you're new to the show, I do have two children, one's 10 and one's five. So my season is shifting compared to you, letter writer. I feel like it's in an easier spot for me right now, and I still have my moments. The thing that I have found about myself is there's certain times of day where I have more energy. I almost said tons of energy, but eh. (laughs) That just really is a fleeting experience. But there's times of day where I have no energy and no patience. Um, And I'm not really um, a morning person. I'm not like the early bird, but I'm also not a night owl. I basically have determined that I'm more like a bear. Like I just need a lot of sleep. So I go to bed pretty early and I don't like getting up early either, which that's really hard to be a mother um, or a primary caregiver. And, you know, (laughs) need all that sleep. But I basically go to bed when my kids go to bed. And um, anyway, so one of the things that's been hard for me is when I have to do all the mothering tasks and I, you know, a lot of them you just kind of have to save for when they go to bed, especially when they're small. And that's when you hear me cuss because (laughs) I'll be thinking it's time to go upstairs for bed and I'm really tired and I'm really not in the mood to do anything let alone making decision. And I remember I have to pack the lunch for tomorrow. I hate packing lunches. And I know that's a really weird um, because I'm a dietitian. I probably should love it. And honestly, I have to say there's a few parts of packing lunches that I enjoy. I enjoy picking out the lunch boxes and the bento boxes. And um, well, that may be it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like putting them together. And and honestly, it's because I'm just done with making decisions. And we do live in a world where food choices with children is quite controversial. And I do push back from that. And I think I've been able to glean from my own therapy and supervision is part of that be, that process is so tiring for me is because I, I do work that is going against the grain. And um I work with food all the time and I still need to feed myself and my children. And so it's exhausting. Again, another decision. And decision fatigue is a huge, real thing. And for you, letter writer, that's one of the things that I was, why I think I was relating to you is because I think you and I got some decision fatigue going on. And that's part of why this is just so mundane and painful in that mundaneness. But anyway, whenever I go to make those lunches, I'm usually at my wit's end and I'm really pissed off. 
And um, I, I, I found that I, I used to always just pack them the night before. And what I have found that works really well instead, because one, one of the arrangements I have now is that I get done with work at three o'clock and pick my kids up from school and we go home and they start to do homework and um, they bring me their lunch boxes and I clean them out. And that's when I pack the lunch for the next day because that time of day, I do have more energy and patience. And um, whenever I, I used to work later and would pick them up at like five or six, I near the end of that time period, I was starting to do that. And I found that just worked better because I was like, I already have everything out. Let me just put some new things back in and put it in the fridge for tomorrow. And that's something, I don't know why, just it's not as stressful for me. But as I was reading your note, I was remembering when my son was an infant. My um, son is not biological. We adopted him and um, I was not able to breastfeed him. And so we bottle fed him. And my first child is biological and I breastfed her and that ended up being really easy for me. And so I didn't have to do a ton of bottles, but with my son, obviously that's all he got <laughs> for nutrition for a long time. And the bottle cleaning, the tubing and the, all the sterilizing and all that shit. Oh my gosh. That was the same kind of experience as the lunch packing. And it used to be so mundane. And, um, I felt like I was in groundhog day over and over and over again. And and, and honestly, it it was really it really did a number on my own depression and anxiety experiences, and um, really pushed me back to therapy. And you mentioned in your letter that you worked with a therapist at one point. And if you're not right now, if there's any way for you to get into someone, this would probably be worth its weight in gold. This is a time where you can really get extra support. And I wonder, I wonder how that would help this process for you. Because one of the things that I'm gathering from reading your note, I wonder what you think about this, is that the stress and the overwhelm that you and I can totally compare notes on, um, it, it seems like that that stress on your on your brain and your body and just getting through this season, your your brain's kind of going toward these old systems and this like wiring that's faulty, that doesn't serve you anymore, and that you already decided doesn't serve you, but is still up there in that noggin of yours. And with all the stress and overwhelm, anxiety, and all that stuff, it somehow has migrated to being a place to lean. You know, it's a way that um, you're getting through is maybe then starting to have eating disorder behaviors percolate up. And the behaviors in particular that I'm most concerned about are the concerns about, oh my gosh, I'm eating too much. Um, this is not what I should be doing. There's more of the more of the guilt about the eating than the actual food choices. That to me is a moot point because eating for stress or um, emotionally eating, those are all normal. Those are very normal activities. And I think it's the way that we're designed to stay alive is that food is very soothing. And the way that your brain's reacting to it initially is the thing that's I would call out as the most connected to eating disorder behavior and that kind of guilt and feeling like it's a it's an unproductive and a distracting thing. So diving a little deeper into this this topic of how our brain is wired to relate to food. I think a lot about this concept because we make many, many food decisions every single day. I've read that we make at least 200 food decisions every day. I think it's probably more than that. And 
when a person has experienced an eating disorder and food decisions have really quick kind of connections to guilt or shame, over time, there's, if you can almost picture like a, a road uh, and maybe a, a dirt road, in the beginning, it's just a windy kind of path and it's bumpy. But over time, after more cars are going over this path or more thoughts are going over this path, it becomes paved and then it becomes a highway. And then maybe it's a super highway that you'd see in like LA or something that's like super just straight to the point and gets you quickly to eating XYZ, feeling guilt and shame. And I know that um, we can rewire our brains to think differently about food. And it sounds like you were able to do that by working with a therapist and connecting with intuitive eating. You were able to basically get out a machete and cut down some trees and pave a new path for the way you wanted to think and react about food in your body. So amazing. And as you made that new path, you probably have paved over it now, and it's a pretty clear path. Yet that old superhighway, as much as it's deserted, it's still there. And certainly during times of stress, when we can feel like we're going astray and lose our way, sometimes we stumble upon those old roads, you know? And I I, I get the sense that that's what's happening to you right now, letter writer. And anyone listening who can relate, that's often what happens And one of the best things we can do when we find ourselves on these old familiar paths is to call it out for what it is. That, hey, oh, that's that eating disorder stuff. And again, it's not necessarily the food choices. It's the reaction to them, the feeling guilt, the feeling bad, or I'm a bad person. Those are the things that we need to call out because those are the things that are gonna pull you down and get you back on those ways of thinking, thinking of food as good or bad or healthy or unhealthy that dichotomy that just doesn't exist and be really intentional in that moment to call it for what it is and then just dump self-compassion on you. Get the biggest bucket you can find, fill it with as much self-compassion as you can and just dump it because those are the moments that really you need as much support and self-care that you can muster around yourself. And that's why I say it's if you're not working with a therapist right now or some kind of support, extra support, This is the time that I would really encourage it because it is a season and it's a shitty season for some people. Some people love this newborn time or they love packing those lunches, like you said, making those little carrot florets. (laughs) That made me laugh so hard uh, because (laughs) that's exactly what I think about too when I go down the compare-itis route because I'm not making those either. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's a season and I, my, my kids are, uh, just five years ahead of yours. And I can tell you, it's going to get easier. It's so much easier. Believe me, um, just hold on. And the way I held on was I got more support. I went to therapy at least once a week. And I really, really got really good at saying no to a lot of things. And my boundaries were really important. So one thing that I found for you, I wanted to share just in case, maybe you're already working with a therapist and you need some more support on top of that, or maybe that's just not accessible right now. One of the things you mentioned in your letter is how uh, intuitive eating was one of the tools you used to help you recover. And a friend and colleague of mine, her name is Lindsay Stenovic. She's been on the Love Food Podcast actually twice, but she just released this really amazing new club that I wanted to share with you. 
And it's so new that it's still uh, on a, like a wait list kind of format. So it's called Intuitive Eating Moms Club. And she is going to be creating monthly or even more kind of content in a membership site. And so I'm going to link to you in the show notes um, a way for you to find out more about this program. Also check out her podcast. It's called The Embodied and Well Mom Show. And of course, that's free. So I'm wondering if you could fill that self-compassion bucket with support from other moms, some intuitive eating experts just for moms, and listen to podcasts that are helping you to get through this season and um, seasons that are ahead. And I hope that helps you to really not towards turn towards that super highway, the old eating disorder kind of wiring and help you to continue to make the paths, the roads that you want to take as you move forward. Because you're right, you have these amazing humans now to nurture and take care of. And it's really important for you to have a relationship with food that you want to model for them. And I know that is the biggest source of energy and motivation to do what you need to do to stay safe and to stay out of that danger zone with the eating disorder. I see that food has written back, but I want you to stay in touch. Please keep in touch about how things are going and just know when you're packing those lunches and cleaning out the bottle supplies, I am cursing right alongside you, but fellow mama, we're going to get through it. Before we get to hear what food has to say, This episode of the Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. You can get to it by going to PCOSandFoodPeace.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the Love Food Podcast, I would love it if you could leave a rating, a review, subscribe, or share the episode. Any of these small acts of kindness really helps the show grow. And I read every single review and it really makes my day. So thank you in advance for anything you can do to help the show grow and for more people to have access to food peace. All right, food has written back, so let's get to it. But until next time, take care. Dear Mom Problems, same thing day in and day out. We appreciate we are in a repetitive, boring season, and we help you hold on. We won't always relate in this way. Having to make all these food decisions along with the stress and overwhelm have reconnected you with doubt, guilt, and shame. Call the eating disorder behavior out as it occurs. Turn towards support. These behaviors aren't necessarily unproductive, distracting, and depressing. Rather, would you consider them to be gentle nudges, a sort of white surrender flag, acknowledging the need for support? As you move forward, please know, no matter how messy and chaotic things get, you are still moving forward. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. Take care.